The Last Hunt. When I was about 10 years old, I was hunting with my grandfather on family-owned land near Covington, Michigan. It was near dusk. We'd been sitting for a couple hours and hadn't seen much. Just a spiker and a small doe. Nothing large enough to shoot. We were starting to lose hope and getting ready to trek the one mile back to our cabin. As we were preparing to leave, we heard some twigs cracking from our right rear side. The stand we were in was tucked in the rear corner of a large clearing on one of the biggest trees in the line. As the cracks from the twigs got closer, I realized that all other ambient noise stopped. When the creature finally emerged from the tree line, my heart felt like it stopped working. An overwhelming feeling of dread washed over me. What I saw looked to be a small buck that looked like I hadn't eaten in weeks. It was an extremely pale brown, almost gray. It looked like it had broken a neck and was missing an antler. It stumbled into the clearing. At this time, the sun was just about to sink below the treetops and cover the clearing with shadows. I looked over at my grandfather. I saw a level of fear on his face that I've never seen before. Mind you, my grandfather was tough and fearless as they come. He'd seen active duty in Vietnam as infantry. After seeing my grandfather's face, it just made the feeling in my stomach worse. We watched this deer stumble into the clearing. My grandfather reached for his binoculars. As he pulled them out, the lens cover made a small noise. The creature must have heard it because it stopped its stumble. It was now in the middle of the clearing. It creepily rotated around, rose up on its hind legs, and stared directly at us for about a minute. Before running off in a creepily awkward sprint into the woods, I felt like I had just gotten the wind knocked out of me. I was petrified with fear. My grandfather and I sat in the stand completely silent, staring at the clearing, trying to make sense of what we just witnessed. As we started to walk back, we heard extremely weird, almost human-sounding noises coming from the woods around us. When we got back to the cabin, my grandfather decided it best to call our trip early and head back home. Before we left, I had to use the restroom. Our cabin was quite old, so I didn't have indoor plumbing, just an old outhouse. As I sat down to use the toilet, the immense feeling of dread returned. I heard human-like whispers and small scratches on the back of the outhouse. I ran out of the outhouse crying. I screamed at the top of my lugs to my grandfather. After we drove back home and had a small discussion on what we saw, despite being an avid hunter, that was my grandfather's last season of hunting. About a year later, we sold the land. Welcome to the True Scary Stories with Edie and Nick podcast. This is the podcast where two stand-up comedians read scary stories submitted to us by our fans, the Uglies. Hey, Uglies, what's going on? And some we find on all corners of the creepy internet and the dark web. That's right, the dark web. Maybe you've heard of it. This is a podcast with some commentary, so if you're not into that, check out our other episodes, which are just the terror episodes, which have all of the terror, none of the talk. And thank you guys so much for joining us, Uglies. What's going on? Did you hear that um, phantom person getting a text message? I think now that... that you? No, no, it wasn't me. No, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. I was like scared too. I was like, who could that be? And I was like, oh, I know ghosts. Like they probably had cell phones now for a while. So I was like, oh my gosh, maybe a ghost is getting a text message. I don't know. Oh, I got you. Or maybe a WhatsApp. 
That's a good, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. all right. It's a ghost that got the text yeah, message. Yeah, got yeah. it. I thought so, and I was like super scared about it. I was so scared about it, I tried to mute my thing more because I thought I already did, but yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. What I think about this, I actually wrote down a bunch of stuff about this. So there, oh, but I forgot. Well, if you want to send me your scary story, you can do it. If you want to, you can do it. You can do it on the Facebook, the Instagram, or on the website, all the true scary stories with you. We love to hear about it. And Nick. We love to hear about it. Okay, the first thing I wrote down was family-owned land. Flexing yep. on us hard. Yep. Always. <laughs> He's flexing on us hard. It's like, oh, yeah, my family has land. Oh, yeah? Well, my family... That's a we flex. We have on your land. <laughs> it's a flex well, they don't have family it anymore. owns the land. Well, they don't got it anymore. You don't own it. You're just renting it from the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you're just renting it. From we, the bank. What? Who really owns anything? You know? Nobody. Exactly. Uh, and it rem airline stewardess. I don't know where I wrote that down, but it, there was something about that. And then also the outhouse crying. I can resonate with that because I would. I've been in outhouse crying myself. Yeah. The last thing that actually is kind of smart that I want to say is that I do know about a uh, basically like a a disease that happens with deer. It's called chronic wasting disease. I feel like I might have talked about talked about this before. It's a hundred percent fatal neurological infection found in deer and elk and moose. Yeah, and it causes a degeneration of the brain. I guess like kind of like mad cow disease. An animal with CWD may become uh, emaciated and exhibit abnormal behaviors, but I do not think they would stand up on their hind legs. No, that is screaming skin walker to and me. Stare at you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might stare at you, but yeah, go ahead. For a minute? That's a long time. It's a long time. A minute is a long time. Hold your arms up right now for a minute, and you will dis you will know how long a minute it's is. It's very long. Literally, so no, it's only been seven seconds. That's how long so no, a minute is. I was thinking that I was going to come in with that, but it, towards the end of the story, I was like, oh, it stood for that long. You know, nah. So this is actually saying to me, Skinwalker-esque. I know, and it's tough for a grandpa to finally say, you know what, I am not, I'm not strong enough to take my grandson into the woods to fight a skinwalker. <laughs> I had to be done. Maybe I would have Done with you. haunting. Maybe, yeah. maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I could yeah. do it. Taking on a skinwalker. I can't. For sure. No, I'm I, putting I, us in danger. Yeah. It's my Sell last the land. Or Sell also, the land. Get rid of it. Also, maybe he was really scared because he was, yeah, maybe he was really scared and then he just sold the land. I mean, what can you do once you get past a certain age? Or maybe he had a mistress and that's why he sold the land to oh, give her some I money. I about that. That sounds like the movie we tried to see <laughs> the other day. That's what that sounds okay, like. Yeah, you're right, you're right, right. Let's keep going. Which house lights? Written by Sights and Silencers. In the early 2010s, a friend and I were chilling at his house playing games. We decided to go out for some late night food. Being that it was past midnight, the only option was 24-hour McDonald's. After getting our food, we decided to just cruise around the back roads for fun. Since we were driving on another tribe's land, the area we were driving wasn't well known to us. Luckily, my friend had a general sense of where he was going. The road we were on led us out into the middle of nowhere. We pulled over on top of this big mesa where the road went down in a snake-like pattern. 
even though it was nighttime, we could still see a long way off in the distance from our little vantage point. We could even see the houses in the distance where the road led. Once out of the car, I walked closer to the edge of this overlooked point. I started howling and screaming to hear my echo. I did that for a few minutes. I walked to the very edge and looked down. I saw a light from a window just below me, close enough to where I could have thrown a stone and hit it. I distinctly remember the light looking like it was from a candle with the flickering, but definitely it wasn't dim like a candle would be. The windowsill looked like it was made of stone, maybe an adobe house? Since I was higher up and at an angle, I couldn't see inside the window. All I saw was a light coming from the window. At that point, I turned to my friend and said, dude, there's a house just right there. I pointed to it. We better get out of here before they call the cops on us for screaming. My friend looked over and saw the light from the window too. He laughed and agreed. We got in his car and split. Nothing spooky or creepy even crossed my mind that night. Just that I may have scared someone in their house with my screaming. A few weeks later, the same friend and I went cruising around again, this time during the day. We visited the same area and pulled over to look at the view. I went back to the edge of the mesa and looked over. To my surprise, there was nothing there. Not only was there no sign of a house, but a house couldn't have been built there in the first place. It was way too steep and rocky. Just boulders, sand, and weeds. I relayed this info to my friend. He looked over the edge too. That's when we both were like, what did we see that night then? Years later, I befriended a co-worker who lived and grew up on the reservation where the Mesa Overlook was. We began trading scary stories. I told him about seeing the adobe house at night that wasn't there in the daytime. He laughed. Dude, you saw the witch house. I asked him to explain. He said that the area was known for being a spot that people stay away from at night. Apparently witches hang out there. There's a small adobe house on the cliffside, but it's very small, like something your average person would have to crawl to get into. He doesn't know much more than that, but he knew plenty of stories of people seeing it lit up at night. So that's my story about seeing a possible witch house. This sounds like a lot of stories that we've heard, even outside of like Native American stories. Or we've had stories before about people pulling up at gas stations and then the gas station disappears or people who have come into diners and ate food and felt like something was off and then they can never find that diner again. I think that I think that these kind of like entities, they use parallel universes and things like that as like kind of wormholes to like get into where they can meet up basically. And sometimes they open kind of like this door that other people can see. And so that's what I think our the person who wrote this, I think that's what they were they what that's what they saw because it wasn't there the next day. I think they got like a split second of a phenomenon that no one will probably ever see again. I mean, maybe, you know, you're right. There's cultures that talk about witches. There's a whole Baba Yaga who turns into a house. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that we talked about. A house appears in a clearing. So I think what it was is that, yes, they definitely saw a, a paranormal, 
you know, uh, tangible thing that is of Earth, which is these witches that maybe do exist on Earth. They are of Earth, and this is just their house. Well, imagine even thinking about, like, um, Bigfoot and things like that. Like, how has Bigfoot eluded everybody for this long? Or all those people that go missing in the national parks. How are they, how have they, how have they eluded everybody for this long? Because I think there's a certain amount of, like, there's a wormhole or some kind of door that some entities are able to open and they're able to pass through this reality and the other dimensions that are also at exactly the same time. Sure, and I'll take it a step further. I think that the people of this reservation knew there was no reason to visit this place, so of course they don't see it anymore. They all saw it. That's what the guy said. Well, we've all seen it. Yeah, we know. You just saw it for the first time. Yeah, don't go there because there's witches that go to this house. And also, but do you think the guy maybe was like, yeah, we've all seen it, dude. (laughs) Yo, it's the first time you've seen it? I mean, it's possible, too. I don't know. It's possible, too. That's the problem with human story. Human story will always be flawed because of humans. All right. I think that there is a way to pass through from this world to everywhere else, and I think that's why we don't see or like uh we can't locate a lot of these spiritual entities does that make sense definitely makes sense all right good warm river nights written by mb i lived in idaho all my life as a kid i spent a lot of time outside or in the wilderness my when my grandparents would take us grandchildren camping my older brother and i would always hike up whatever trail we would could find to get a view of the sunset on one of the occasions something terrifying happened we're up at a campsite i only know is warm river the river never freezes there my brother and i went on our regular evening hike At one part of the trail, there was an old tunnel that went through a mountain, probably an old train tunnel. As we were walking through it, I heard something I'll never forget. About two-thirds of the way through the tunnel, I heard a terrible screech at the end we entered through. The screech wasn't like anything I've ever heard before. I've heard the screams of animals on dark and windy nights. I even think I heard Bigfoot calls a couple of times but never the metallic grinding screech I heard that day. The point is, whatever the sound was, it did not sound natural in any capacity. I jumped five feet in the air when I heard it. My brother shouted a few choice curses before shooing me quickly to the exit on the other side of the tunnel. At this point, my brother decided we should just continue walking and head back after whatever made the noise hopefully cleared out. We didn't have any firearms on us. Since I was pretty upset, my brother reassured me that we would be fine. Luckily, we made the walk back without incident. However, I didn't get any sleep that night. I heard things moving around the campsite the whole night. I also heard whispers echoing through the darkness outside the trailer. I woke my brother up a few times to check out what it was, but he refused to each time, telling me that it was probably just other campers staying up late and enjoying themselves. We packed up the following day, and life continued as normal. I chalked what happened up as a harmless event that I must have been exaggerating in retrospect. A few weeks later, I went up to Pine Basin, an old ski lodge my family rented each year for family reunions. Everyone would come. My favorite people to see would be my cousins. Our favorite activities would be what we called night games. We would play hide and seek, 
a game called Ghosts in the Graveyard, and other games like that. In one instance, I was chosen to be the seeker for a hide-and-seek game. Because I was one of the younger cousins, I got a flashlight as an advantage. Normally, all the younger cousins hid close to the lodge, and the older cousins hid in the trees or at the base of a nearby mountain. As I was searching near the bottom of a mountain, I heard a familiar whistle up the mountain a bit. We'd always whistle as a hint to our locations, so I wasn't scared of it. It sounded like someone was hiding up near a tree. We used to call this tree the underwear tree. You can guess why. I began trekking up towards the whistle. As I climbed closer, I got an uneasy feeling in my stomach. I continued on warily and convinced myself that I would be fine. I hated walking in the night alone, but figured whoever I found would walk back with me to the lodge. As I neared the tree, I noticed that it was deathly silent. This alerted me that something was very wrong. You could always hear the adults having fun back at the lodge. I was anxious to hurry back. Since I thought the whistle was my older cousin's, I called out, I found you, Scott. Come back down with me. I got no reply. I wasn't planning on waiting. As I began walking back down the path, I heard a voice call out, You almost had me. So I ran back up to investigate. I flashed my light in the branches of the tree. I saw a monstrosity that was not my cousin. It looked like a poorly drawn stick figure made into a human with its emaciated figure and lifeless eyes. I remember its face looked like the skin on its head was being pulled from behind. It had torn and stretched features. As soon as I saw the creature I screamed, dropped the flashlight and ran back to the lodge. The entire time I ran I was overcome by an overpowering smell. I could hear the thing running after me. As I approached the camp, I saw my cousins at the bottom of the mountain waiting for me. I was crying and shaking. They took me inside. I told my dad what happened, but my cousins all said that they didn't see anything following me. The adults kept us inside for the night. I kept hearing sounds drifting in from the mountains. I never played night games after that happened. I was always terrified that my cousins wouldn't listen to my warnings. Ever since that night, I've always felt uneasy up in those mountains. I used to be really religious and figured that it was a demon of some kind, trying to kill me or something like that. A few years ago, the game Until Dawn became really popular. I watched a walkthrough of it on YouTube. When the Wendigo first appeared in the game, I got chills down my spine. It was exactly what I saw. I did a ton of research on them. I started to believe that both of these events, Warm River and the Whistling, were Wendigos. I still hear that screech from time to time. In fact, I heard it earlier tonight. So I think there's something to be said with people's guard being down, like how this story talks about that this was a hike they went on all the time. I think that as well as with car accidents, like car, most car accidents uh, occur like three miles within the person's home, right? I think that they're, when you let your guard down, there's a lot of negative energy that can basically use that time that you are zoning out to come into your life. Does that make sense? Yes. Did I explain that well? <laughs> yes, a predator always attacks when your guard is right, down. Right, right. Yes, that's what, I, that's what I mean. And whether it's a car accident or somebody who's following you or stalking you or a wendigo or skinwalker or whatever it is, 
They prey upon the times that you're not paying attention, is basically what I'm trying to say. Yes, that is the main thing about a Wendigo, is that it gets you to get your guard down. It whistles to, to remind you of the people you feel safe to- about. It talks in the voice of the people you feel safe about. It's only your awareness of how that person doesn't really speak where you're like, this is not right. Right, there's like a, yeah, a certain like little quality. Uh, when you said it uses whistling, I was thinking of the Andy Griffith show. Like what if it was like whistling, like, you'd be like, oh, that's okay. It's not when it goes Andy Griffith. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> the Andy Griffith show starring Andy Griffith with Don Knox. Another thing I wrote down was the metallic scream, which is weird uh, way or a weird way to describe it, but I've heard several stories describe the Wendigo scream as a metallic scream, which I think what they mean is like a screech. Yes. Like, yeah, I think it's a screech that, that they don't know the... Uh... Kind of like a nails on chalkboard kind of like screech, right? And... Uh, what I also wrote down is the woods because a lot of these things happen in the woods and I think that a lot of it happens in the woods. Okay, I think that like a lot of ghosts appear like in our cities and in our houses and places like that where people live, like where there's community and stuff like that. I think that when we venture into the woods, we're actually venturing into kind of like the territory of creatures, just like in re- regular life. When you go into the woods, you have to worry about bears and things like that. When you come in the city, you have to worry about people. So I think that's why in the city there's a lot of ghosts and sightings like that. While when we go into the woods, there's a lot more like animalistic things like the Bigfoot or the Wendigo or Skinwalkers and things like that. I think that just like in regular life, we kind of keep to our own spaces, (laughs) if that makes sense. And I also wrote down underwear tree. He was like, the underwear tree, you know what I mean. It was like, no, we don't know what you mean. Yep. What is the underwear tree? <laughs> what do you mean by that? I was guessing that it was a tree filled with underwear. I have no idea. What, what is the underwear tree? <laughs> is that like a, a backwoods thing? Or like, how do we not know about the underwear tree? Is that like the giving tree, but like for underwear? It's <laughs> funny. Thank, thank you. I appreciate it. And then I also wrote down that the Wendigo looked like a poorly drawn st- stick figure. Which I was like, what a diss. What a diss is that? Oh, I got you. Yeah, have you ever seen that, like something like so scary you feel like you could draw it? You would be like, eh, like its features are so big. You're like, I could have drawn that. So I think that the uh, poorly drawn stick figure is a really good way to... It honestly reminds me of that thing that I told you that I was always afraid of that was over me when I was doing my makeup. That very tall person mm-hmm. stick figure thing. If It's about three episodes back if you haven't heard of what I'm talking about, it's pretty crazy. All right, well, let's keep going. This next story is a TikTok, and it was done by Spooky Foodie, and it is about a ghost at Disneyland, specifically California Adventure. Real Disney ghost stories sent in by you guys, part one. These Disneyland cast members wish to remain anonymous, but here are some stories about the little girl who haunts California Adventure. When I worked at Disney California Adventure, we would sometimes see a little girl and she would show up in the bakery tour alone. And usually by the time we figured out she was alone, she's gone. We asked another cast in the bakery and they said she comes by every now and then and wanders all the way to Little Mermaid. Before Disney California Adventure was built, it was a parking lot and she was hit by a tram. And since then her ghost has haunted the area. 
It's funny because there's a pattern here. Another cast member wrote to me about this little girl as well in Disney California Adventure. First of all, he says that every land has some sort of ghost. Like every little land in Disneyland has something that haunts it, which is crazy. The ghost I experienced the most and will stay with me is the little girl in the Little Mermaid building. She also likes to walk around on the Grizzly Peak side. She even pulled my keys out of my pocket because I wouldn't respond to her while I was cleaning a restroom and she was pounding a stall door. What? That is so scary. Here's another ghost story about the same girl. Apparently her name is Jennifer. I work at the restaurant on Buena Vista Street in California Adventure. Jennifer is very well known by cast members. She likes to lock the women's restroom doors. She she turns candlesticks on, on the walls upstairs. I've heard a faint scream in the hallway on the second floor. She's pulled my hair a couple times, and she has shown herself to our custodial at 3 a.m. Have you ever had an encounter with this little girl spirit at Disney California Adventure? All right. No, I haven't <laughs> had that experience with the Costa California Adventure. But I do think it is interesting that multiple people have seen the ghost going through the separate lands. What do you think? I mean, the uh, we all know that uh, Disneyland attracts a lot of guests and a lot of people have history in there. And we've even read stories where people will scatter the ashes of their recently deceased loved ones in, Cal in Disneyland. The unfortunate truth of Disneyland, since it means so much to so many people in life, they're going, you know, there's a percentage of them that's going to make it mean something to them in death. Right. And the uh, happiest place on earth... Obviously, because people are going there instead of heaven, am I right? I mean, yeah, what a, what a great place to be a ghost, you know, and ma mess with people. It just sounds like this ghost is like, look, I paid for my admission ticket. I love Disneyland. I'm going to mess with you because that's all I could do. I can't really ride the rides anymore. I can't really... I can't really enjoy the pancakes anymore. I can't really enjoy the treats anymore. The so the best thing is to mess with you guys all the time. Because think about it. If you were stuck... At Disneyland for 24 hours for the rest of eternity, why are you not going to mess with people? Yeah, especially since they she took the keys. And if you guys are more in, if you guys are interested in the Disney uh, hauntings, we did a whole episode of it that you can find here. And there's actually a lot of other ghosts. There's George. Uh, apparently, George is the most famous ghost that haunts Walt Disney World, and he was a construction worker that fell and died. Oh, no. No one uh, ever uncovered proof of uh, a death on that ride. So it must have been during the construction. Cast members attribute any malfunctions on the ride with the ghost name George. In well, fact... The, yeah, and there's always the uh, thing about that Disneyland will not allow anyone be proclaimed dead at Disneyland. No, yeah. So they, if, even the people that die in the park will not legally be proclaimed as dead on Disneyland. It yeah. doesn't mean that they didn't die in the park. Yeah, yeah, right. All right, let's keep going. Up in the Sky, written by Elf. I've been married for 37 years to a lady I've known since we were 10. Five children, five sons, daughter-in-laws, eight grandchildren, retired Marine and retired law enforcement. Graduated high school early, retired from Marine Corps at the age of 37, now employed as a surgical technician at a small rural hospital. We live near Lake Tahoe, Nevada, in an area that until recently was very rural. On to the story. Happened about 30 years ago. It was night, 3 a.m. I was heading to work, riding a motorcycle. I saw what looked like a shooting star. 
I pulled off to the side of the road to watch it. Using Jobs Peak Mountain as a guide, I estimate the object to have reached an elevation of about 1,500 feet. It was perhaps a quarter of a mile from the location. I recall thinking, wow, if this mo object impacts the ground, I might be able to recover a fragment. No sooner had that thought entered my mind when the object changed direction and shot back up into the air. It was not leaving a significant trail. If it had left a lasting trail, it would have looked like a V in the sky. That means one of three things happened. The object was either traveling so fast it was out of sight in about five seconds, it shut down its source of illumination, or it blinked out of existence. Many people reporting encounters like this state they've experienced feelings of abject terror or overwhelming benevolence. I felt none of that. Just more like, uh, okay, that was really weird. Fast forward to this time last year. It was about midnight. I took our little dog out to potty. I love looking up at the stars. As my dog Bella, a Chihuahua wiener dog mix, was doing her thing, I was looking up, enjoying the stars. I observed a craft moving from west to east, quite slowly. I noted a green light on the top, a red light on the bottom. It's important to note that these lights were steady, not flashing. Additionally, there was a white light pointing in my direction. Not directly at me, just in my direction. I did not give this much thought, as we do have a small airport seven miles north of my position. However, as I looked down at Bella, something in my mind said, wait, what you just saw doesn't add up. I looked up back to observe the lights with a more critical mind. If this was a standard aircraft, I should not be able to see both of what I assume were navigation lights. Unless the craft was in a sharp bank turn heading toward me since I could see what I assumed was the landing light. The only other explanation would have been a helicopter with a rotating spotlight. Problems with this explanation are multiple. First, this object was not moving toward me. It was moving from my right to my left, or as stated earlier, east to west. Secondly, the object was only a quarter to a third of a mile away from approximately 750 feet in evaluation. With that proximity, I would have heard an engine, be it an airplane or a helicopter. I heard absolutely nothing. Remember, this is a somewhat rural area. I observed the object for approximately a minute. It was moving very slowly, below stall speed for an airplane. Then, as the earlier sighting, it turned off its lights. It moved so fast that I could not observe it or simply blinked out of existence. As with my early observation, I felt nothing other than, well, that was odd. Now, we again fast forward about a month. I'm that annoying kind of person who, before heading to work, wakes up instantly, gets dressed, and heads out immediately to accomplish whatever task needs to be done. Well, this particular morning, I wake up because I am cold. Here's the kicker. I am standing in the middle of our one-acre backyard. My clothing is askew. Shirt buttons are offset by three. My fly is down. Waist button secured, belt undone, one pant leg tucked into the pants, one hanging down over my boots. My mind is racing. Why am I out here? How did I get out here? Why are my clothes messed up? Is it cold? Why don't I have my jacket? It takes me at least three minutes to fully comprehend where I am. I walk toward the back door of my house. It's locked, so I move to the garage door. It's locked also. I pass through a gate, go around to our front door. You guessed it, it's locked. I knock on the door. My wife, who wakes up even before me, opens up the door with a confused look on her face. 
She begins to ask, how did entering our home, I reply, I don't know. I don't know what happened. My wife asks, how'd you get past me and go outside without me seeing or hearing you? Why don't you have your keys? It's cold. Why are you not wearing your winter gear? I held up a hand to her, palm out, indicating just wait. I gathered my thoughts and replied, I really don't know. I have no idea why I am dressed like this or how I got outside. My wife seemed uncomfortable and has not asked me any more about it since this event. It should be noted with the layout of our home, it would be nearly impossible for me to have gotten outside without her hearing or seeing me. Additionally, I have no history of sleepwalking. Although an open-minded skeptic, I am a paranormal enthusiast. I understand very well what these circumstances suggest might have happened. Sadly, this is where I disappoint you. It's been a year now. My wife and I have not noticed any unusual marks or scars, no change in my behaviors or interests. Lastly, no impressions, dreams, or flashes of what, if anything, had happened to me. So, that's my story. What happened? I have no idea. Could I have slept walked for the first time in my life? It's possible. Could I have gotten past my wife? Although unlikely to not be on the realm of believability, I have a sense something happened, but what that is, your guess is as good as mine. The none of that really freaks me out. What really freaks me out is that he has a chihuahua who didn't even notice that he was out of their sight. Because if you any, if you know a chihuahua, they never let their loved ones out of their sight. Yeah. They will raise they will raise hell to, to let you know that something is wrong. So that part is what I'd be scared of. That's what I'd really be scared of. And also the fact that these aliens can put things in your body. They can they can beam you up through your house, but they can't figure out how to put your belt and your shoes back on the right way. Yeah. It's a sloppy. <laughs> it's a sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. Because they don't sloppy. know it. They don't, they don't have they, belts. They, or... they could re- li- listen, go on the TikTok, read a book. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? They could figure it out. I feel like they're trying to, like, get, they're trying to antagonize you at that point. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, aliens might be us from the future. Think about pe- things that we did. If they're us from the future, they should know how a belt works. No, because think about things we did in the past that kids don't understand now. As simple as a VHS tape or a, or a, or a VCR. Kids don't know how that stuff works. Cassette tape, they don't know how that works. And that's even, that's just well, 10 minutes, 10 mi- even, uh, years away. Why even erase their minds if you're just going to leave the clues like that, that you that something happened yet? Yeah, well. Just, I- just leave their memories intact at that point. I am very weirded out by the fact that aliens are scared of chihuahuas and don't want to alert them. So they waited till this man didn't have his chihuahua around him. Nobody wants to mess with chihuahuas, not even the aliens. All right, we are on to the last story. And with that, the last story announcement. That was pretty good. I got to remember how to do that. Last story announcement. Yeah. Yeah. That was very Disney Channel. All right. Nick, where are we going to be? Uh, tomorrow at midnight, we'll be at the Dirty at 12 at Las Vegas. Uh, we'll be at Stir Crazy Comedy Club March 23rd to the 25th. Tomorrow's Vegas? Tomorrow's Vegas, yes. Woo! Okay, I'm excited. Uh, besides that, let's get to this last story. This last story is called... Tales of Magical Things, and it's written by M.N. My dad's side of the family is Appalachian Mountain Folk from North Carolina, all great storytellers. I grew up listening to tales of witches in the mountains and magical things they'd experience. 
When I was young, my dad would cut my hair. He'd scoop it up, then go over to the woods. I never questioned why, until the day my youngest brother got his first haircut. As usual, when my dad was done, he'd scoop up the hair like he always did. My grandpa was there at the time. My grandpa said to make sure to bury it. My dad nodded and went out into the woods. I asked my grandpa about it. He said, witches can use your hair to cast spells on you. You gotta go out where no one can see you, dig a hole, and bury it. Otherwise, the witches will use it to curse you. Then he explained how to tell if a witch made a curse out of your hair. Witches can put spells on bits of human hair to make a person sick or make them do things. This will result in a big tangled wad of hair. It just appears from thin air wherever you are. Then he called my older cousin over. My cousin then told me about the time he found a hairball. One morning, I was at breakfast just talking to my brother. As we were sitting there, a big wad of hair materialized right in front of our eyes and it floated over like a tumbleweed towards me. I jumped out of my chair. Those witch balls can burn your skin. I grabbed a pair of tongs and plucked it out of the air, careful not to touch it, then I tossed it in a fire. I asked him if anything ever happened after that. He said no. I asked him if he'd ever been burned by one of those hairballs. He said no, but his friend had been burned, apparently. It happened one day while his friend was out on the farm. He heard a cow in the woods. He thought that one of his cows escaped. Of course he had to bring it back. His friend followed the cow, the sound. He came to a small clearing, but there was no cow. That's when a bunch of witch balls appeared and encircled him. His friend knew what they were immediately. He took off running. He ran into a few on his way out. The next day his face, arms, and neck were covered in big burns from these witch hairballs. After hearing that story and my grandpa's explanation, I always made sure my dad buried my hair if he cut it. I know that it's probably not a true story, or at least there's some other explanation for it, but I still do it myself now, because you know, just in case he was telling the truth. My grandpa also had stories of a good witch that everyone knew. Her name was Miss Ada. If people were sick or needed help removing a curse, they'd go to Miss Ada. When my dad was younger, my grandpa sent him to Miss Ada's house to help chop her wood. My dad worked up quite a sweat. Miss Ada saw this and asked my dad if he would like some milk. He said sure and followed her inside her house. Miss Ada checked the fridge. There's nothing in it. She says that she must have run out. Then she asked my dad to help her with another task really quick. Then she'll get him some milk. Miss Ada grabbed a little towel and they went outside. She grabbed a bundle of sticks that were tied up right next to the house. She laid them on a stump and covered the bundle with the towel. Then she asked, can you chop these sticks for me? My dad obliged, but when he brings the axe down, the sticks don't break. Miss Ada removes the towel. Lo and behold, the bundle of sticks is fine. There's no damage whatsoever. Miss Ada grabs a big pail and sets it at her feet. She takes the towel that she used to cover the bundle of sticks and squeezes. As she wrings it out, a huge amount of milk comes pouring out of that bundle or out of that towel. She fills up the entire bucket. Miss Ada pours them two glasses of fresh milk. My dad takes a sip nervously. Then he chugs the entire thing. My dad confirmed the story and said it was the sweetest glass of milk that he had ever had. The last story I'll tell you about was a phenomenon that my grandpa and others call 
the knocking. It was something that happens before some people die. It would start when a tapping was heard at the front door. Sometimes only the person who was about to die would hear it, but usually multiple people would hear it. As soon as someone checked on it, the tapping always stopped. The next day, somebody in that house would be dead. Apparently, this happened to one of my dad's cousins. It was a day when the cousin had a bunch of friends and family over. They were outside just having a good time. There was a pounding on the front door of the house. They all heard it, yet nobody was there. They figured that maybe one of the kids had gone inside and was playing around, so they got back to talking. Then the pounding started again. This time, my dad's cousin went over to tell the kids to stop messing around. Again, nobody was there. He closed the door and began walking toward everybody in the yard. Everyone got spooked. They all knew that this meant a death in the family would occur. The very next day, my dad's cousin was found dead in his bed with no apparent cause of death. I mean, uh, is that why we get like doorbell ditch and stuff like that? Is that <laughs> why like that kind of legend comes from? We're like, yeah, let's make them think that somebody's gonna die. All right, so this is what I wrote down, and this 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 is maybe one of one of Edie's uh, not so good thoughts. <laughs> But DNA and like hair and stuff like that. We recently found out all this cool stuff you can do with DNA. You can clone people from their hair, right? You uh, can uh, identify people with their hair and their DNA and stuff like that. So I don't think it's that far off to think that witches and uh, people who cast spells could use your hair to kind of like trace you and... Uh, put some kind of ill will on you when mm -hmm. they can literally clone exactly who you are with a piece of your hair mm. why is it so far-fetched to believe that if it, it fell into the wrong hands of like a sorcerer or something like that that they couldn't use it against you when you can literally clone yourself with it or uh, literally if you left it somewhere the government could find out that you were there so I think I've never really thought about that before but that makes a lot of sense to me right now so you've heard of almond milk you heard of oat milk. Have you heard of not broken twig milk? This is the newest and greatest craze. Very sweet. It's very LA. It's very sweet. And I also wrote down he was the the cousin or whatever who was was working really hard and he needs some milk. No. Do you know what that is? Yes, I know what that is. <laughs> okay, very go good. Your turn, go. I mean, this is just another uh, group of, I guess, Native American superstitions, folklore, their beliefs. You know, only they would know really what this all means to them. But it's interesting to hear that some people, Appalachian Mountains, I don't know which tribe that might be. Of, yeah, I've heard a lot of stories coming, like scary stories coming from the Appalachian Mountains. Appalachian? Appalachian. So, yeah, I mean, that's the... Uh, thing about mist folklore or superstitions is that they are very much of their region and uh you know it, it's interesting to hear about it and be like oh so that's what they believe the knocking the the barrier hair so that witches don't curse it and the whole idea of like these uh twigs that produce milk right. i liked it i like right. miss ada i wish i could meet her i was thinking milk thistle the whole time but i didn't know how to tie it in all right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the True Scary Stories with Edie and Nick podcast. We will see you in Vegas tomorrow, this Friday, tomorrow, at the Dirty at 1230 at the South Point Casino. Don't forget to give us five stars. Rate it. If you're not going to give us five stars, then don't. Otherwise, you'll need some milk. Uh, we love you guys so much. 
have a good weekend. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Give someone a hug.